Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have an Italian chef talking about the new competition show everyone is buzzing about and what he and Alex Cornicelli got up to in Tuscany when the cameras were off. But before we get to our guests, I do have some exciting news to share. Food Network Obsessed has been nominated for a Webby Award. Our team is incredibly excited, but we need your help to win. So click into the episode description and you will see a link to vote. It would really mean a lot. So please go do that right after you listen to our guest. He is a chef, writer, television personality, Food Network hotlister, and also the host of Chow House. It's Gabe Bertaccini. Gabe, welcome to the podcast, or should I say Benvenuto? Oh my God, do you? Wait a second. You speak Italian now? No, I don't. I looked up the pronunciation before mm, this so I could impress this you. Is, this, is, no, this is shady. You said it too. It, it's like, you, you know, you knew it. You knew it. But, well, buongiorno, buongiorno. Well, I have to say, I am so excited for the show. I have not been this pumped for a show in quite a while. Variety <laughs> Variety described Chow House as Big Brother meets Under the Tuscan Sun. I am sold. What were your thoughts when you were first approached to be part of the show? I was like, oh my God, this is my eat, pray, and love moment. (laughs) It was amazing, you know? Jimmy, listen, you know, I've been living now in the States for about 19 years, Mm -hmm. and I'm 37 years old. So, really, half of my life I've been here in the States. All my family is back home. There is no amount of time that I can be away from Florence and Tuscany or Italy in general that doesn't really make me feel I will always carry with me this very Italian essence, especially my cooking, you know? So when I got approached for the show, for me, it was really much about going back to my roots Mm -hmm. and the ability to share that with a broader audience. I mean, it was a win-win. I was so excited. And then, of course, I learned who my co-host was. Uh (laughs) And then I got excited and fearful. <laughs> I was Fair. like, oh, dang. You know, it was a very, very good match. And 
this show really came out to be, I think, so beautiful. And I think we didn't really understand the beauty of it until mm-hmm. really the end. At the point, we knew that we had something special. Yeah, I mean, the setting for the show is a bucket list destination for most. Yeah. But as you mentioned, it's just home for you. So I know <laughs> you you like to go back home, as you mentioned, a lot. But how did it feel to go back home kind of in this, this work capacity and, mm-hmm. and be able to share it with so many people? You know, I think the uh, the responsibility for every chef it's really to go beyond just the cooking and really understand the connection between food and the culture. And there is no better cuisine and better culture really to understand that fully than Italian culture. So for me, going back and sharing that with the 10 chefs and also with Alex or with everybody in production, really, it was much more than just teaching them how to make pasta or, you know, the importance of, you know, raising healthy, you know, cows in Tuscany or whatever. It, it was much more than that. It was almost like, let me, let me explain to you that I'm not the odd one. We are all like this. And there is a full <laughs> country of me, you know, we are, we are just, we are just so passionate and really you know, the cheese maker is not so much about the cheese, it's about the traditions that, that rep- you know, that cheese making represents for him. Mm-hmm. So there is really no better way to describe myself or the Italian people or Italy as a country than really be immersed in, in that. And so this is a show, you know, Chow House could have not been done in a studio. Mm-hmm. It had to be done in the place where all of these connections and the, all of these connections take place. What what are some of your favorite, especially like food memories from childhood growing up in Tuscany? Oh, my God. How much time? How long is this podcast right now? <laughs> you know, Alex, Alex always, always tells me, oh, my God, here you go. Now he's going to tell you about his great, great grandmother and how she's connected to, you know, it's some of my favorite food memories. You know, I think I was very lucky to grow up in a region that it's really kind of the food belly of, of Italy, where all these, you know, farmers and food makers, connoisseurs kind of like come together in one very unique and small region of Italy, Tuscany, Toscana. There is a connection with the land and that connection I experienced at a very young age with my grandmother, where I was eight or nine. And, you know, the first memories, it's really her bringing me to what we call the orto, which is a vegetable garden, right? Mm. Outside of our farmhouse where we had goats and rabbits and chickens and cows. And, you know, she would bring me around and kind of like, you know, in a very natural way, she would just basically connect me with, you know, the different seasons and the times and, you know, the weather and make me understand how important it is, that connection that we have with, with our city and with our culture. So some of those best memories is really with my grandmother going through the orto, picking up the tomatoes, the, you know, the fiori di zucca, the zucchini flowers, and just come back and spend an hour, two, three in the kitchen with her mm. and just sometimes watching her, you know, or helping her. And the smells... I think as a cook, the smells always bring me back to that. There are specific smells, yeah. you know, of, you know, the onions cooking down or the carrots or, you know, the, the sugo, the, the, the sauce kind mm. of like simmering that take me back still at 37, takes me exactly back to nine-year-old moments. So 10-year-old moments. It's quite magical. What was the first thing that you learned to cook? Well, it's, it would be papal pomodoro, which I do. Do you know papal pomodoro? I mean, like I know, bread po- I know pomodoro, but yeah. yeah, it's a bread soup. I mean, in, 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 in Italy, in Tuscan, especially 
uh, bread is seen as sacred. Like mm. you never throw a loaf of bread away. So what happens when the bread is stale? You save it. We used to have like this giant bag in the closet and, you know, in the, or the pantry. And she would, you know, throw the stale bread in there. Usually once a week, sometimes once every two weeks, she would go in and pick up the stale bread. And we have a bunch of dishes, especially in, in Florence, that are made with stale bread. But papal pomodoro, it's so simple. It's just really a bread soup with broth and tomatoes, mm. often tomatoes that are too ripe to be enjoyed as they are. And so you either make a sauce or you make a soup and then you let it simmer and, you know, you add some basil and parmigiano reggiano, really like four or five ingredients. But it's complex and the flavors are complex and the ritualistic part of, of cooking papal pomodoro. It's what makes it very special. So that's probably one of the first mm. things, you know, and we used to have this beautiful Camino, which actually in Chow House, you see it, there is this fantastic kitchen, which of course has a range and a stove, but then there is a open, you know, fireplace, right? Which is really where my grandmother used to cook. And when I walked into the kitchen for the first time at Chow House, I got goosebumps and it was just like going back to my childhood and, you know, seeing my grandmother sitting next to the, you know, to the Camino and cooking in these big copper pots where, of course, she would make Papa Pomodoro. So mm. that was that was a big, yeah, that would that would be my my memory. How much did that upbringing really influence your culinary style as, as you kind of grew and developed as a chef? And how much did you deviate from it? You know, I have the luxury. I'm very fortunate. I live in California and I think as far as the States goes, California is the closest, you know, region of the United States in terms of food farming that I can think of when yeah. I think of Italy, you know. And so cooking, you know, what we call like California cuisine, which is very farm to table, reminds me a lot of Italian cooking. You know, you just slap an avocado on it and then you're good. But like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what the New Yorker will say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I lived in California for 10 years. Oh, you years know, too. you yeah. know, Jerry. <laughs> you know very well, that's true. No, but I, I think with me, I will always carry this essence of Mediterranean flavors. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we forget to think that Italy, it's really 95% touched by water. And then around the Mediterranean, we have influence of, you know, Spanish cuisine, Moroccan cuisine, Greek cuisine. So we have a lot of these flavors, you know, as, as you go down, as you actually travel down and you go down to Sicily, you see a lot of dishes, you see couscous, you see, you know, you see a lot of things that instead come from North Africa. So the influence of Italian cuisine is much more than just, you know, meatballs and spaghetti. It's really like the Mediterranean flavors that come, you know, around the peninsula of, of the Italian culture and Italy as a country. So, that I will always take with me. I absolutely love the movement that we have been having here in the States for the last really 10 years of going back to the basic. I see a lot of young people kind of moving out of the cities and going and creating their own regenerative farms. And, you know, I have a friend that just opened, just started actually a bison ranch in Montana. And, oh you know, gosh. it's just like, it, you know, it's just, it's stunning to me, you know, they make their own whiskey or they make their own cheese. I feel like there is a movement of American artisanal mm -hmm. that is extremely inspired by the Italian artisanal movement, which has been there for centuries. And I can only imagine, you know, 100 years from now, 150 years from now, 200 years from now, what American cuisine would be like. And I think it would be much more like Italian cuisine, where there is a connection, a personal connection to the land. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, when I was living in California, even though I actually grew up on a ranch, a cattle ranch in Montana. Oh, he, oh my God. No, you yeah, didn't, Jamie. Did. What, is what, is, what is this? Yellowstone? I know, right? What is <laughs> Oh my God, I'm falling in love. 
<laughs> Jamie, no. I spent. I uh, sorry to interrupt. No, I spent. No, no. I spent a month and a half in Montana. Oh, you did? Oh, because I I I find the Western culture so stunning, and it's really the to me to me it's the essence of America, and there is definitely that. Just like you're saying, you know, I I. I was raised on a ranch, you know, yeah. and there is that very magical symbiosis between the land and, you know, the person, which reminds me a lot of where I come from. Yeah, no, I, I love that experience I had, but also, you know, living in California and getting all the fresh produce and yeah. definitely reminded me of my time in Italy as well. And we're so excited to see all of those things that you just mentioned on display with this show, because it really does focus on the authentic Italian principles for the, yeah. the various challenges. Yeah. How much does it capture the essence of the region and all these things that you've been talking about? Yeah. You know, when we decided to also with Alex, like where to do that in Tuscany, in the region, we had to take in consideration that, again, there is no such a thing as, you know, Italian dishes. You know, there are a thousand different ways of making, you know, a classic. So, you know, Alex and I kind of really had to think about where to where to bring these 10 chefs, what, what space, what place. And Mugello, which is about 35, 40 minutes from, from the city of Florence, was, we decided was going to be it. It's really the epicenter and it's surrounded by the three major industries, actually four, I would say, in Tuscany, which is, you know, you get the dairy cheese area of the mm -hmm. Pecorino, you know, and all the amazing cheeses of Tuscany. Then you get the meat you know, the cattle with the cows called Tianina, which are these giant white cows that they're raised only in this specific area of, of Italy. Then you have, you know, the, of course, wine. So you think about Sangiovese, Chianti. Then you have the olive oil production. So it's really like epicenter of Italian, you know, food culture. Mm. And it was very magical, not only for us, but to see these 10 chefs flying from the States and be immersed like immediately, you know, into the culture of food. And, you know, it was a it was a cultural shock for them as well, which made it for really a really good show. I have to be honest, it was it, there is a lot of, you know, to play there. Yeah. yeah. And as I understand it, you know, each challenge is accompanied by a local traditional experience. Some of what you're talking about. What was it like to get involved with the local community? And what was the reaction like around town? Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't happen often that Food Network ends up <laughs> in the middle of in the middle of nowhere, Mugello. You yeah. know, I say I was mostly interested in the reaction of the chefs. I mean, this show could have not been done in a studio because we needed that lesson. You know, mm -hmm. we needed for the chefs to really understand and connect with these people, you know, with the grandmother that has been making pasta for the last 60 years, you know, by hand, or the, you know, the macellaio with, with the meat or the cheesemonger. Like those are lessons, those are moments, you know, that chefs kind of take with them and then they go back to the villa and they kind of take notes, they write recipes and, and they really absorb to then awfully rise to the challenge that then we, you know, Alex and I, give them after. It was very exciting to see them kind of rise to the occasion and sometimes, you know, kind of disappointing us and really saying like, are you really absorbing the culture? Because this is not just a field trip because it's cute and fun. Like there is lessons here for you to kind of take in and then bring into your plate when we ask you to do so. It was very, very exciting. Yeah. What's the balance like? I mean, what do you look for when you're watching and kind of mentoring these chefs in terms of kind of taking and interpreting these traditional techniques, but also kind of incorporating it into their own style and POV? Mm -hmm. You know, 
<laughs> Alex, I would say she's the bad cop and I'm the good cop. <laughs> I can see that. And we kind of we like, you know, we, we go back and forth through the show very naturally. But I have an approach to food that it's very sentimental. As you can see, just talking to me, I mean, I bring out, you know, stories of my mom or like, you know, living there. So for me, really food is about emotions. And so when I'm tasting a dish, when a chef presents us something, for me, it's are you paying respect to the origin of the dish? But am I tasting yourself in it? Mm. Am I, is there is there the something that reminds me, oh, you know what? This is Gabe's dish or this is Alex's dishes. I can eat a thousand dishes. And I'll tell you a spot Alex's just with my eyes closed. I know exactly how her cooking is. And she's able to kind of take it and elevate it and pay respect to the origin of it, but in her own way. So for me, that's what I'm looking for. Alex is French trained, you mm -hmm. know, and, and although she's actually, she's Italian. She's like, you know what? The beans are burnt, okay? So they're burnt. <laughs> and I'm like, no, but, you know, you were thinking about your mother. And I kind of kind of see that, you know, you really took a nice turn here with the sage and the rosemary. I'm like, I, I'm more like, all right, tell me the story of it. Because, again, food for me is very sentimental. And it tells me a story. So I'm looking for that. You know, there are plenty of dishes that are great to eat, but they have no story behind it. And as chefs, we're storytellers. So give me a dish that, yes, pay respect to, you know, what we have been teaching you or, or you know, the little field trips they were taking. But I want to see you in it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I always look for. Speaking of Alex, what was it like working with the ICAG herself? <laughs> <laughs> I felt very nervous at first because Alex is it's an amazing chef. I She's amazing. What yeah. Alex does. You know, I am not a competition chef. So for me, like I would, I would crumble, you know, <laughs> under, under that kind of pressure. So for me to see her be like, Hey, you know, you got a still ciabatta bread, some spaghetti, a piece of chocolate, make something. I'm like, you know, I, I don't know how she comes up with this stuff. And I can see her mind, her knowledge of food, not only when she explains it and she gives feedback, but also when she cooks, you know, it's so vast. Mm -hmm. And and her vocabulary in the kitchen and on camera, it's it's quite inspiring. So for me, really sitting next to her was a teachable moment for me. You know, those people were going, the chefs were going to do the field trips, you know, with the cheesemonger. I was having my field trip with Alex next <laughs> to me. And I was like, teach me, teach me. You know, it's amazing. As, as chefs, like we really, I think this is beautiful. We all, we might be coming from different experiences, families, cultures, by the end of the day, we speak one common language mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter, you know, if you are from, you know, Italy or France or America, when two chefs meet, there is immediately a, I know exactly who you are. I yeah. know you, you know, <laughs> and, and so that's where we bonded on. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the, you know, the good cop, bad cop kind of dynamic. So what perspectives did you kind of each bring to the, the judging table, do you think? Well, you know, just like I said, for me, judging these dishes, it's, you know, I have to sometimes I actually had to take a step back from the personal connection I have with the dish. Mm -hmm. Right. There were certain times that I was served dishes and food by the chefs that I've been eating since I was, you know, two year old. So I I have a personal connection with that. But that wouldn't be fair judging. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like if I ask you, hey, do you like my apple pie? You're probably going to be like, well, my mom's apple pie is probably the best <laughs> apple pie I've ever going to, you know, I'm ever going to taste. Because for you, that has meaning, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's connected to your heart, 
to your soul. So for me, judging a dish based on, well, my grandmother made it better. It's like a whole different, you know, dynamic. You know, Alex instead, she is very technical and she's French trained. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm Italian trained, completely different. So, so for her it was very much about, okay, you had these ingredients, but did you cook them correctly? Mm. You know, and yes, the flavors go well together, but you know, the steak is overcooked. The duck is overcooked. I can serve this, you know, and overall, this is not a good dish. I, you know, I was more like, okay, I can see, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can see the story, you know, that comes into into play here. And and I think those two points are equally important, mm -hmm. you know, in, in any in our industry, but in any dining experience, in any chef. Again, you know, we are the bridge between the ingredient and the person that eats it. And so in between that, sure there you have to have the skills to cook, but you also have to have the skills to then tell that story. Those two things are extremely important. And to be a well-rounded chef, you have to have both. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where really Chow House comes into play. You are in a, in a place, you're living in a, in a 12th century villa, uh -huh. sorry, 13th century villa, and, and you're surrounded by the history of it. And, you know, you feel the pressure, right? You feel the pressure when the nonnas are looking at you, you know, and they're thinking you can't make a sfoglia pasta without the machine. You know, let me show you. And so you feel the pressure of that. And I think that is really where Chow House comes in and also, you know, creates a little bit of drama. Coming up next, Gabe gives us the behind the scenes scoop on Food Network's new competition show, Chow House, and how the contestants living together sets it apart and leads to lots of drama. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You mentioned this, this beautiful historic villa yeah. and these contestants living there together. And that's definitely a, a twist for Food Network, I think. How does that change the dynamics of the show and the competition for these chefs? Well, you know, the chefs compete in familias. So we divided them into mm. different groups. 
Within the same familia, I mean, I don't know if you ever had a family meeting. You probably had when you were a kid, but I did. It was a big family. We were, you know, six. And they're completely dysfunctional. Like they start with, you know, good intention. I'll be like, <laughs> let's all be on the right track here, you know. But then eventually there is always one that storms off and say, I'm never going to see you again. I'm moving out. And, you know, leaves, leaves the house. So you can imagine, like at the beginning, they're like, okay, this is family. You know, we are, we are family. We have to all work together in order to win. Within the familia, they have to decide amongst themselves who lives. So mm -hmm. that's really a dynamic that's extremely interesting. And also it plays out in terms of, you know, games. Like, how are you going to play this game? I mean, you can play dumb until the end and then win it. Or maybe, you know, if I was playing the game, I would want the strongest co contestant, the strongest chef, to leave, you know, and mm. to get kicked out. So, you know, I would nominate that person and say, you know what, I think this person should leave because I feel threatened. Yeah. So there is that element and that's where kind of the big brother, you know, comes in or the survival style. <laughs> it's like you're all living in this villa and you begin the first episode, oh, we're all friends. By episode two already, like you start seeing, you know, some sabotage and these people are vicious. I'm like, oh my God, you guys. I mean, it's an amazing prize, but you know, you really see it coming through. I'm like, you know, chefs can be a little tough, right? And you know that. But it definitely plays into how they cook throughout mm -hmm. the competition. And I have to be honest, Jamie, Alex and I, if we had to put money down on who ended up winning the show, we would have completely lost it. Like, really? I, this, was, this was somebody that we were like, I did not see this coming whatsoever. And so we actually, we, you know, we got, we got left with, you know, a very surprising ending, okay. even for us. Yeah. Wait, no. So you, you, you talk about how they're divided into their, you know, these familias. Is it, is it the same? Do they stay in the same like familia the entire time? Is it change every episode? Like without obviously giving away spoilers, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we divide the chefs in two familias. There are 10, 10 chefs. So there are five and five. And then Alex and I really decide which team or which familia won. Within that, they are assigned a couple, which is, you know, the family head, right? Mm -hmm. And that person is going to pick up the next team. So that person decides who is going to be part of the familia. So that too is very strategic. It's like, you know, it's not up to us deciding which familia, you know, how the com how it's composed. It's really up to the couple. But, you know, we get to choose which familia did the best, which one is the loser, which one is the winner. And then within the winner, we decide, okay, well, I think you know, Jamie did the best and Jamie's going to be the head of the family. Mm. And Jamie gets to decide now who is going to be in her team next. Oh, and that is okay. a very, very, you know, strategic decision, right? Also, there is another element to it. We decided to uh, divide the cookouts, one for lunch service and one for dinner service. So would you like dinner service so that you can see what the lunch service mm. looks like and then adjust? Or would you like to have the lunch service because, you know, maybe you like to go first and you don't, you know, you don't want to worry about that. So there is a lot of little things, little nuances that really make this show, make Chow House very unique to Food Network. And extremely addicting, to be honest. And, <laughs> and, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. And you kind of see playing out throughout the different episodes, you know, halfway through, you start understanding, oh, okay, this chef has this strategy. And you start like really, you know, being invested in who cooks what, you know, who wins possibly and so forth. Yeah. How attached did you and Alex get to some of these contestants? Like, do you have, I mean, you can't say who your favorites are, but yeah. like, do you have secretly some, some favorites or people that you're kind of rooting for privately? I mean, of course. I mean, it's, it, 
we, you know, we had to take a step back and, and judge clearly this competition very fairly. But I think, I think we were attached to really all of them because I think, at least for me, in every chef, you see that hunger of wanting to win and, and the vulnerability in showcasing who they are through food. And I'm telling you, it's extremely, it's a very vulnerable process. You know, chefs are artists and just like a painter decides to paint something and put it on the wall for everybody to criticize, you know, making a dish on national television and then, you know, in a, in a competition and then let Alex and I judge it. And then every viewer will have their own, you know, it's a very, it's a very vulnerable process. And that to me, it's what made me, you know, get attached to them. I, I saw myself in them, mm-hmm. you know, especially when I was younger and this hunger of saying, this is who I am on a plate. Let me show it to you. And, you know, when the feedback was good, you know, you get, you get very excited, but when it's, when it's not good, that's really where the test comes, you know, comes in. You're like, okay, are you, are you going to rise to the occasion or are you letting this like, you know, kind of crumble you down? How emotional does it get, especially as you get further into the competition with, you oh, know. Oh, <laughs> we got cry. We got tears. We even got love affairs. Oh. <laughs> we even got love affairs. And I'm not talking about the love affairs between Alex and I. That's very, <laughs> that's very clear. Also, it was summer. There was a beautiful pool outside they could use. Like, you know, it's a very romantic eat, pray, love moment. And so I think in between the tears and the yelling and, you know, the sabotages, which there are plenty, a little love. It's a good Italian staple of, you know, of the show. Sabotages. So there's... Oh my God, you have no idea, Jamie. <laughs> I was just, I, I was so, I can't, I can't say it, but like, I am so, I was so surprised. It's like, who, who, she did what? I'm like, I know, you know, and you can only pick those, you know, you can only pick that up from the cameras. I didn't mm-hmm. know. And then somebody, I was like, oh, no way. So wow. there are plenty of that, you know, it gets down and dirty. What about some behind the scenes stuff can you share? What, what did you and Alex get up to when, when the cameras weren't rolling? It was really immersive also for us. You know, mm-hmm. when you are cooking and leaving the show, you know, really 13 hours a day, you know, you go home, you eat something and then, you know, you're ready to do it all over again. You know, there is, there is a very fun moment, actually, I remember. I wanted to get in the good graces of Alex. So it was July 4th, which is, you know, during the time we were shooting. And Alex was very sad that she missed July 4th in America. For her, it was like a big, you know, a mm-hmm. big holidays. And so she was a little, you know, sad. And she told me that a couple of days before July 4th. So I went to a producer and I said, okay, well, listen, she's going to be very sad. So let's bring in a truck and let's have them making hot dogs, you know, and donuts. Aww. Like very America, you know, why not? So July 4th comes and we're in the same car. We're being driven on set. And I'm so excited. I'm like a little kid, you know, Christmas. <laughs> like I can't wait for her to see, to see the hot dog truck. And so she goes in and I'm like, look, Alex, look to your left. And she's like, what's that? I was like, I brought you a hot dog cart. She's like, oh my God, you did it. So she goes in, she has this, it was the worst fucking hot dog <laughs> I've ever, it was so fucking bad, Jamie. It was like, I was, you know, like, it, can you imagine? So she, I have a video of it. I'm going to post it on Instagram because it's just so fucking funny. She was so <laughs> upset. And she, she looked at this, you know, this bread, these two pieces of big ciabatta bread. Who does a hot dog and a ciabatta bread? There's Who pro- does hot Well, do they sell hot dog buns in, in No, I don't know. Probably not. I mean, we have, you know, we should stick to fucking cheese and olive oil. I'm like, we are good with that. But like, leave the fucking hot dog alone. We had these two pieces of ciabatta bread and they were boiling the hot dog, not even grilling in there. They were boiling in there. Oh. And it was just like, you know, a little raw onion. 
So she wasn't happy with that. The donuts, they were an absolute failure. <laughs> so I decided, I decided that I'll leave, you know, next, next season, we're going to, we're going to skip the hot dog cart. Uh, but <laughs> we got this right. Italians do not make good hot dogs. We just don't make good bread. It's like, you know, leave the, the French. They're good at that. The Americans, good with hot dogs. The Italians, let's stick to cheese and olive oil. Yeah. Good. You should have done like sausage and peppers or something oh like that. Oh my God, it was the worst, Jimmy. So that's what we got up to. I, mean, I was trying to make her happy and I didn't. Uh, well, I, I feel like it's the thought that counts, right? I know, I know, I know. It's it's very true. She was actually she was actually very, very, very grateful. Let's yeah. I mean, it sounds like obviously these chefs are are learning a lot, you know, as they go about, about the yep. cuisine and the history. What did you guys, what did you learn? Did you learn anything new? I mean, of course I did, especially for me. Like, I mean, cooking is never something that it's like going to yoga. It's not that, you know, you you go to yoga for a, for a year and then you're like, OK, I never have to go to yoga again. I know yoga. Like, you know, it's just right. You wish I wish. But, you know, you have to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And every time you learn something new, every time you're able to relax your body and breathe in, you know, better. And so cooking is the same thing. It's not that you go to Korean school, you cook for a bit and you're like, OK, I know everything about pasta. I don't, you know, especially in a country that has so many different, you know, shades of cooking, like so many different ways of doing things. You know, it's really what we talk about at the table all the time in Italy. You know, we talk about food constantly. It's like, oh my God, you're not doing it that way. You have to do it this way. You're making this, you know, it's just like, it's, it's so connected to who you are that every time I go, I learn something new. I mean, for me, I'm I'm a very meat and potato guy, mm -hmm. you know. That's why I love Montana so much. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, you know, really. Like I'm like, give me a good, you know, T-bone steak yeah. and you know, some great potatoes. But you know, for me it's very inspiring to see a butcher breaking down, you know, a big animal, right? So coming in with this beautiful piece of T-bone and and learning about the connective tissue and like how to cut it and really the nose to tail, how nothing goes to waste. Mm. That to me is extremely inspiring and something I'm learning constantly. And I know Alex, you know, had the same had the same reactions. I mean, she was looking at these nonas making this folia by hand, you know, with a rolling pin from 1250, wow. you know, and I'm like, I'm just, it's, it was so amazing. You know, it's, it speaks volumes about when you do something over and over and over again, you become a master in that. Mm. And so sometimes you don't even need to cook. So I just, I was so hypnotized by just looking at them and seeing how they were moving the hands or, or how they were touching the dough. And they knew exactly when it was done how, you know, how thin they had to be. It's extremely hypnotizing. Yeah. Do you think that viewers at home will also be able to kind of pick up some some tips and tricks as well? Absolutely, yes. And that's the beauty of this show is that we, you know, we have, we have of course, the element of like them living together, a little drama there, which is always good. And, and it's human, you know, it's human-like. Then you have the competition aspect, right? So they're coming down, they're cooking in this kitchen, you know, it was July. It was 120 degrees mm. with a heat wave there. And, you know, so there is the stress of like, it's hot and we're working in a kitchen that we don't know. But then you have a very aspirational side of the show, which is when we take these chefs, like we say, to these field trips, right? And, and, and the viewers will go to this field, you know, on these field trips with them. And, and I think the aspirational part, the spiritual component of just, seeing i mean these shots are beautiful it was filmed beautifully when i saw it i was like this is just literally this is my e-pray you know, i'm like where is julia roberts i'm like I, 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 need to, I need to be with her this was this was like stunning and i cannot i really cannot 
wait for the viewers. I'm so damn excited. I, yeah. think, I think this is such a, an amazing and unique show for Food Network. And I hope it will just kind of start a whole new amazing trend for, of course, the Food Network, but also for shows in general, cooking shows. This is really like mentorship, a little bit of competition. And then, of course, it's all about the food. So it's it's really, really beautiful to be a part of. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the last chef standing, who, as we know now, oh, is, yeah. is a, somewhat of a surprise. But what they win is very much a life changing grand prize. It's an immersive culinary education across Italy, training with renowned Italian master chefs. What advice do you have for the winner before they embark on this very much life-changing journey? For me, it's about being humble, wanting to learn, you know, and, and, and just kind of leave your ideas and preconceptions back home and at home and just come into this trip and join this trip fully like open and willing to learn things and ways that you might not be familiar with you know and 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 be willing to understand the culture of it because again you know we're not this is not about you know making a sauce and and how to make it or you know and and that's just the recipe and that's what you have to do this is this is more there is more to it. There is an element of, of culture and connection and stories that is extremely important for whoever embarks into this amazing prize to really, to really accept and, and embrace. Yeah. Ah, well, we are so excited to see it all <laughs> unfold on our Thank television you, screens. Anything before we let you go, anything like that people will be shocked to find out about the filming of this show or have we pretty much covered it. No, we cover everything. It was 120 degrees, Jamie. It was miserable. <laughs> it was the heat wave in summer in Europe. And I was like, did we just pick the three worst weeks <laughs> of, of, you know, for being here? So enjoy the beauty of it because you'll never know it's 120 degrees. There. Just enjoy because I had to change five shirts a day. A day. Because I was sweating, you know, <laughs> profusely. And Alex was like, do we really have to go get you a new shirt. And it's just so hot. So enjoy the beauty of TV because TV is beautiful. You look at it and you're like, oh my God, this looks so smooth. Yeah. So elegant. So nice. This is, must be beautiful. It was beautiful, but there are, you know, there are parts of it that was very, very rough. And so enjoy that. Yeah. So, <laughs> enjoy so prop, the props to the hair and makeup and the oh wardrobe my God, they department. Did amazing. They did amazing. <laughs> All right. We're going to finish off with a little rapid fire round. And then we have one final question for you go. here on Food Network Obsessed. Favorite pasta shape? Uh, Pappardelle. Okay. Signature. Wait, you say that? Okay. That, no. that was a loaded okay. No, 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 no. You didn't like, no, that was no, no, no. I said Pappardelle, okay. No, actually, that's my favorite. I mean, that's like my go-to as well. I should, I mean, I okay. should have been more excited right. about it. I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, you should have. Yeah, right, yeah. Let's, okay. let's, let's, you know what? You know what? Let's just start over. What's right, your favorite, what's your favorite pasta shape? Penne. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> let's see how you feel about that. No, Pappardelle. Pappardelle. No, I love pappardelle. I love Good. I love doing a meaty ragu, and I think that it, oh it goes God, great fantastic. with that. Uh, all right, signature dinner party dish. Oh my God, it would be it would be a Chateaubriand, which is a filet mignon, right? Mm -hmm. Cooked and but but I do it with herbs and butter, and I love to just slice it and just oh, serve yum. it. Even at room temp, it's just delicious. It's what in Italy we call it roast beef, but you know, in, in French, it sounds more elegant. It does. It sounds like Chateaubriand. <laughs> All right, favorite gelato flavor? A pistacchio. Pistachio. Which, by the way, it's pistachio, not pistachio. It's, oh, we should really? just say this, okay? It's like it's like <laughs> bruschetta, bruschetta. Let's just go with that. So it's wait, which pistachio. one is it? Bru bruschetta or bruschetta? Yeah. Oh, no, bruschetta. bruschetta. But it's same with pistachio. Same pistacchio. thing. So that's uh, delicious. I, I said it wrong again. <laughs> 
pantry staple you always have on hand? Andusha sausage. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, which is this beautiful spicy pork and prosciutto sausage from the south of Italy. Like you can spread it, right? Oh, yeah, you can yeah. you can use it on anything. It's it's basically my anchovy. You know, mm. it's like I use it on anything. It adds this umami flavor. You can use it on pizza. You can use it on pasta in your sauce. You can use it in anything, and it adds such a beautiful umami flavor. Fantastic. Yes, I love it on pizza for sure. Yeah. Favorite thing to do with your dogs? Oh, oh. 300% go skiing with them. And you might be, you know, yeah, I go skiing with it. Isn't with, it crazy? They go skiing? Yeah, I actually, this is so funny. I I bought I bought a harness. You put it on and then they basically hooked, you know, you hook the dogs to the harness and then the dogs pull you. It's like cross-country skiing. I mean, you're not <laughs> oh, going okay. down not a like double downhill. black. Yeah. No, you're not going down a double black, you know, in, <laughs> in Jackson Hole. But, you know, it's a it's beautiful. I love to see my dogs in this now. I live through them. I have three beautiful Aussies. They're so important to me. Alex keeps telling me, Gabe, you need to cook. Stop posting your dogs on Instagram. I'm like, I don't know. It became a dog account. You know, you come for the food, you stay for the dogs. I don't know. But like, it's, it's they're so part of my life and, and I love them so much. All right. Must have travel item. Must. Oh, oh, you know what? <laughs> An iPhone charger. My, my phone is always at 10% constantly. <laughs> Am I the only one, Jamie? I never have a... You got to get a new phone. The new phones have longer battery. Okay. Well, thank you. I mean, <laughs> yes, I do have to get a new phone. For that, I need season two. Season two. Okay. All right. All right. We'll, we'll manifest that for you. All right. All right. So the, the final question, not rapid fire. Go. We ask everybody the same question. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's different answers for everybody. What would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we want you to take us through all of the meals of the day, breakfast, lunch, Oof. dinner, dessert, any snacks you want to throw in. You can travel, time travel, spend as much money. Anyone can cook these for you, living or dead. There's no rules. It's your day. We want to hear about it. Okay. All right. Well, I would recap in the morning and I am, I love eggs. I'm mm. like, so I would do a beautiful French. For me, it would be a French scramble. Mm. Instead of bacon, I would love a little pancetta, crispy mm. pancetta on the sides, you know, some roasted tomatoes and a beautiful piece of sourdough. Like that to me is just amazing. Now, that's a great breakfast. Halfway through the day in the morning, like around 11 or 12, which for me, it's the middle of the day, by the way, <laughs> I would go for a nice coffee and pastry. I'm in New York. One of my favorite places here is Bavette. Mm. And I just, you know, clearly, I mean, it's so, you, you're nodding. You know, you know exactly <laughs> yeah. what I'm talking about. It's so delicious. I absolutely love that. Lunchtime, if I was, see, the best lunch I ever had was with a baguette, a bunch of cheese, and an amazing natural wine, mm. a Sacre Coeur in Paris, you know, outside the church and just like overlooking the entire city. That speaks volume of, you know, the, the simplicity of food. I mean, you really don't need much. And it was also, of course, the location and the mm-hmm. place and, you know, everything else. But that would be my favorite, you know, and, and if I'm in New York, Central Park would be amazing as yep. well. But I love a little picnic moment at lunchtime. And then dinner. Oh, dinner, dinner. This is difficult. I I had it that nice, so I'm going to say this, but I absolutely, so it would be, it would definitely be steak. But my second favorite it would be fried rabbit. I went to Via Carota, which mm. is an amazing restaurant here. And same um, owners as a uh, vet. Well, yeah, you know that. <laughs> I know, I know. They 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 steal half of my stipend every month. But Via Carota has an amazing fried rabbit. And it brings me back to again my childhood. My grandmother used to make fried rabbit all the time. Mm-hmm. I think rabbit meat is so underrated in the States. It's absolutely delicious. But that for me would be, you know, the perfect dinner. Okay. And are you having dessert? Uh, I'll have dessert when I go home with a little piece of bread and some Nutella. 
Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that would be my dessert right that's, before going to bed. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. Sounds like a, a perfect, very gay food day. <laughs> yeah, it definitely. It definitely would be. Uh, you, go, you got me hungry, Jimmy. <laughs> I know. Well, it has been an absolute delight getting to know you and chatting with you. And again, I can't say it enough. We are so excited for the oh, show. Oh, so sweet. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And and I hope the viewers will really enjoy Chow House. It was a, it was. Like it was so beautiful to film and we're very much looking forward to sharing this with all of you. Ah, just two more sleeps until the premiere of Chow House. It's coming up this Sunday, April 16th at 9 p.m. and also streaming on Discovery+. Plus. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Bye.